Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to a special edition of Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell, singing solo tonight for the first half hour of the show as we bring you Talking in Circles, a special edition here. We're going to talk about the Bobby Hamilton Jr. situation. We have Catherine Plouffe on the line, as well as Kevin Hinkle, who uh, has been dealing with this situation. Plouffe is, is Bobby Hamilton Jr.'s formal PR rep, so that should be interesting as well here on Talking in Circles. So we had a great show. Kathy Guinness is going to join us in about 15 minutes as well. We'll get her side of the story. So uh, it's going to be an interesting show to start off with here on Talking in Circles. Uh, first off, guys, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Um, Kevin, let me ask you something. When did this first start with Bobby Hamilton Jr.? What was the conversation started that got you kind of hooked up with him and uh, started the, the really get the ball rolling for the for the, uh, this season and, and dealing with Bobby Hamilton Jr.? Uh, it started last year. Uh, I was um, racing for Roger Carter or trying to, and um, at the time, Bobby was too, and um, he was, it was at the Chicago race that um, one of the other crew members came to me and said, hey, Bobby wants to talk to you, and then later on, we talked on the phone and ended up going down to uh, Springfield, Tennessee, where, at a, to a shop where that he had and, and uh, discussed, you know, driving for him, and he was forming a new team, and getting equipment from Jack Hughes and, and, and separating from Roger. Interesting. That's, that's interesting, you know, and how it all starts there. And um, before I get to Catherine real quick, you signed a, a letter of intent to sign to drive 18 races in 2016. Is that correct? Yeah. Initially I signed a letter of intent for 18 races, including Daytona and Talladega uh, for a total of $60,000. And then about a month later, he contacted me and said, hey, I want to run a different deal by you to see what you would think. And uh, it was going to be Daytona with an Ilmore engine and then two short tracks, Iowa and Berlin, for a total of 22000 And when I signed the letter of intent, he explained it to me that he had a bigger sponsor that was covering most of the expenses for the race, for the for racing so that my part was only just my portion of it. And by signing the letter of intent, that showed my earnest to the to the bigger sponsor so that they would come forward and, and uh, start funding the team. So that was why we initially went with that. And when we discussed the letter of intent, he said, if we start here, if it ends up we just can't get the money together, can't get other sponsors or whatever, we'll just back it down. And then a month later, he offered me the three-race deal for 22, and I said, I would like to go ahead and do that. And that included mm-hmm. going down in January for testing. And um, when we got down to uh, Daytona for testing in January, uh, all up until the week of, he was saying he was bringing three to four cars and, and all this. And I had two sponsors that wanted to meet Bobby, wanted to see me drive, um, one was a sponsor that had already given me some money but was looking to do more, and the other one was a newer new sponsor that hadn't he was just interested in wanting to see things. And I found out on that Monday before the the weekend of the testing in Daytona in January that he wasn't coming. And when I got there there was only one car and then 
the seat that was in it belonged to another driver and was not big enough where I could fit in it, so I wasn't able to do the testing. Yeah, I mean, that must have been disappointing. Catherine, uh, as I ask you yeah. here, when did, when did you start working for Bobby Hamilton Jr., um, if you don't mind me asking you? I actually had gone down for testing. Um, my good friend, C.J. McLaughlin, went down. Um, he had ended up selling his legend car and said, hey, I'm putting all my eggs in this basket. I want you to come down and cover everything for me. And I went down and covered the whole weekend of testing. As Kevin said, I think there was ended up being four drivers that couldn't get seats. Um, CJ could. He was the second driver to get in the car. Um, I documented everything, took pictures, everything to CJ. After they were loading up the car, Chuck comes up to me and goes, hey, why don't you join the team as RPR? And I'm like, oh, I, you know, I, don't, I wasn't really sure of it at first. And then he's like, I want, you know, I, I'm going to tell Bobby that you, you'd be great. You'd do a good job at this. So he goes, you talk to Bobby. I said, all right. So um, Bobby and I went back and forth a few times. And then he says, you know, I'd like you for all 20 races. I said, okay. So I kind of thought about it. I didn't jump on it right off because um, I was kind of still reading the whole thing with Kevin and then the whole thing with Kevin uh, Rutherford came up, too, who was also at testing. Um, I was like, oh, all right, well, you know, I decided I went with the name. I know I had another offer, too, and I ended up going with the name. And like, thinking even all my friends were like, hey, if this is his comeback year, you're a part of it. Like, how cool would that be? And it ended up not being a comeback year in but yeah. in the end, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the opportunity and the great people I have met through it. I'm not trying to badmouth them, but you know, things just turn the wrong way. And, and for, in your opinion, when did it start to turn sour? Was it Daytona? Um, was it a little bit later in the year? I know they got they kind of got off to a little bit of a start there with a couple of races. When did it start to turn sour for for the team that you start started to say, you know what? Something funny's going on here, um, and maybe I, I, you know, when did it start turning south that you think, at least? Um, probably at Talladega. Uh, I had helped Eric Cardell get a camping pass at Talladega because he was supposed to bring out his toter home. He was all excited. Um, that was on Tuesday of the week of Talladega, and Wednesday was kind of like a tra- like a work in the morning and travel day. And I got into Talladega late, late um, Thursday morning, and we went to the hotel, washed up, changed. I got to the track, and I only saw one car. And I, and I, you know, I, of course, on my paperwork, I had Bobby and Eric, so I had everything ready for the two of them. And I was like, wait a minute, what, is Eric not running? And he's like, no, we couldn't get the motor working. And then I got to thinking back through some of my notes, and that's when I saw Cassie was supposed to run Talladega, but I never questioned it because he would always tell me, you know, what drivers are running what race. Mm-hmm. That's when things started to me, and then the guys took the week off from the shop when we got back from Talladega because I couldn't get a hold of yeah. him. I tried texting him, and that's when everything to me really started like, oh, what did I get myself into? <laughs> 
And, Kevin, it, it, was that about the time that you started to figure out, get in touch with maybe Bobby Hamilton's lawyer, Bobby Hamilton Jr.'s lawyer, and you started to kind of get interesting text messages, to say the least? Uh, was that about that time, too, right around Taliban? <laughs> Uh, it was in March. Uh, for me, you know, things went south the very next, yeah, you know, the very next morning after testing in January. I, Bobby and I had uh, had a verbal agreement, and then as far as with Daytona and the other two races, and I texted him the next morning after testing and, and indicated that you know we needed to get it in writing. I had one last payment due coming up, and wanted to get everything signed and sealed. I mean, back. The last August, when I first met him at his shop in Springfield, he, you know, reassured that everything would be on the up and up. Uh, a lot of times, he quoted, you know, you see him saying, "I'm not Roger Carter. It's not going to be that way. Everything will be on paper. Everybody's signed and contracts and everything above board." So I was merely asking for that, and he texted me and said, "Call me." And I called him. He just railed on me saying how tough I was to work with and everything and that he was going to cancel my deal, get my money back and all that, and that I would be hearing from his lawyer to get that resolved. So soon after that, I started getting texts from the lawyer. And um, when I first started getting texts, I tried calling the number, and the number just went to like a generic recording. It said nothing about a, you know, a law office or a lawyer or anything like that. And when I asked him, you know, Call me. He says no. Can only text. You know, can't. You got to keep everything on text. Wouldn't call me. And then he started asking for records of all the wire transfers that I did to uh, Bobby to his uh, high performance motorsports. And um, you know, I said, well, give me an email address and I'll send them to you. I have them already. You know, on my computer here, I can send them to you. And it took forever to try to get that. And the more I was starting getting texts, you know, things that, one of the things I was seeing was a lot of the spelling and grammatical errors that I would see in Bobby's text. So at that mm. point, I started researching the number and determined it was a pinger number. So it wasn't even um, a lawyer. It was someone impersonating a lawyer. So yeah. at that point, I was like, okay, that's it. And that's when I, it was in March when I, I filed a, a civil suit against Bobby. You're listening to Talking Circles here tonight, uh, special edition here. We're talking about the Bobby Hamilton situation. I got Kevin Hinkle, who is an ARCA driver and his and Bobby Hamilton Jr.'s PR rep, uh, Captain Plouffe, with us as well. Um, real quick, Kevin, was Roger Carter part of this deal? I know there was some kind of, at least when I took it, uh, I read the article on SpeedwayMedia.com. Joseph Shelton did a great job uh, in this investigative piece. Was Roger Carter mm-hmm. part of this deal as well with, with Bobby Hamilton Jr.? Bobby drove for Roger uh, last year, ten I believe ten of the races, and Chicago was the last race that he ran with with Roger, um, and that was the last race I had with Roger as well, um, and it was you could tell there was you know tension, and then it was after that when they had their falling out or whatever it was. So Roger was never in the picture as far as going forward with working with Bobby. It was one of the crew members that was working for Roger and with the cars and stuff, who was a friend of Bobby's that came to me and said, Hey, Bobby would like to talk to you about something indicating that he was going to start his own team and all that. Now, Jack Hughes was Roger Carter's partner, basically by furnishing cars and, and haulers and semis and, and pit wagons and things like that. And, 
that's what um, how Bobby ended up with Jack's equipment was Roger was getting evicted out of his uh, shop in um, North Carolina, mm-hmm. and uh, Bobby grabbed it and offered to store the equipment. That's how the who stuff ended up at Bobby's place. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, uh, Catherine, real quick. Um, yeah. Have you have you heard from Bobby? When was the last time you really heard from Bobby? I know it's been kind of, you know, uh, speaker media. I, I was on, on talking to Joseph Shelton as well, and last week, and he said it, and, he, and he's absolutely right. As a journalist, you want to get the whole story. Bobby's been very, very silent through this whole thing. When was the last time you've heard from him? Oh God, um, probably the end of May, okay. end of May, first of June. Um, I haven't had any contact with him. Uh, actually, I can tell you when the last time was. It was around the the second week of July, actually. And and did, was anything was was there any questions? What was the conversation like? Um. Well, I can't really get into too much detail as of right now because Joe hasn't uh, released released right. my uh, story yet. Um. It was a conversation. It really was pretty much one-sided. Um, he just kept texting me and texting me, and it honestly, it it wasn't the nicest of things. Somebody, when I kept asking, "Well, when are you going to pay me?" and when it came right. out, when all this, when I started que- when I became questioning more and more, is when he got really silent and really didn't talk to me. And, like, I question, well, when's the next race we're going to? What's going on? And I know um, he didn't want the guys at the shop talking to me. He didn't want anybody talking to me. And I don't understand why, because he thought I was the one going to the media all the time or going to the pit lane. Right. And, and I find it hilarious that I was the one that got blamed for it, and it wasn't even me. Um, I do know who it was. It wasn't me. And I'd like to clear myself of that one. Um, but... <laughs> You know, I I could have brought him in more drivers, and I could, we could have helped with sponsorship and everything. And I and I I kept saying that in the last text message um, he I sent to him, saying you know we you had to solve you had everybody behind you backing you, and wanting to be there and wanting to make this like a record year, and saying hey you sir come back, let's do this, and I never got a response back. Interesting, which interesting. Was really, which was really um, disheartening. Yeah, and we're going to listen. I'll, we're going to look for your piece. I know you can't go into a lot of details about that. And we're going to look for your piece uh, with Joseph Shelton sometime in the near future here on SpeedwayMedia.com, and, and we'll bring you on again to talk about uh, the details even when they're announced. But I, I thank you so much for joining the show, and I'll, I'm going to leave Kevin on. I got a couple more questions for him, but. I thank you so much uh, for joining the show, and uh, we'll see. Hopefully, we'll be in touch uh, after the article is published, and we can talk an- another time. Yes, sounds good. Have a great night. Thank you, you too. Um, and we're still here with Kevin Hinkle, the Arca driver. A couple more questions, if you don't mind, here, real quick, before I let sure. you go. Um, sure. You know, I know you put out a lot of money and your hard-earned money, and I know you're uh, a registered uh, mechanic and stuff like that. Um, how did this end up? First question is, how did this end up affecting your racing career? And the second question is, what did this do for your personal life? Well, as far as my racing career, I mean, I still do stuff at the local level, but um, I um, 
you know, have been wanting to get into ARCA racing and break in at the professional level, and it really has set me back. I mean, between Roger last year and, and Bobby this year, it was, you know, quite a you know, pretty big financial setback. A large amount of what I gave Bobby for the deal I had going was my own money. Um, I, just threw, I did uh, extra work. I have my own shop, and I was doing that work in the evenings and weekends for a um, one of my customers that has a fleet of classic cars, and he was paying me for that. So, you know, I was working extra just to be able to pay it just because I had no sponsors or anything like that to speak of. Um, so it really affected it that way. You know, as far as being able to still race, mm-hmm. you know, on the local level, I race at uh, a track, a road course about five hours from Kansas City called uh, Hallett. I run a series called Comma Competition Motorsports Association. So I'm down there once a month. Yeah. So well, I, I did uh, I did get an invite from uh, Kimmel Racing for the Iowa race and was going to do a start and park with them. And uh car developed a mechanical problem in, in practice, so I wasn't able to. So hopefully I yeah, still want to do something at the professional level in ARCA. I mean, I, I love the series. I love, you know, everything about it. I mean, it's, it's professional, but it's, you know, guys that are, you know, trying to make, you know, make it in the big leagues and it's what I want to try to do. I'm getting a late start. I mean, I'm a lot older than a lot of those guys out there, a lot of those drivers. But, um, so it's been a financial setback in that regard. Yeah. It's got to be tough. I, mean, I can only imagine. I mean, it, it's just, uh, the unfortunate part of racing. We've seen it even in the Cup Series, you know, uh, J.D. Stacy uh, way back in the 80s and even Angela Motorsports oh, yeah. and NASCAR. But you know, it seems like the last couple of years, you know, you mentioned Roger Carter. He's been accused of this a lot. Uh, now Bobby Hamilton Jr. Is there anything you think ARC can do to help prevent something like this? Um, you know, or is it just kind of the way it goes with with stock car racing, unfortunately? Um, you know, it's a, that's a good question. I, um, you know, reading through the ARCA rules, I mean, there is a rule about conduct, you know, detrimental to the sport and to me this definitely falls on it and i think you know there you know i would love to see arca you know clamp down harder on things like this where you know you know the evidence becomes you know apparent that something's going wrong i know and i know they can't be the the uh you know the overseer or police or whatever for every team and for every deal that goes on i mean but there's got to be some way of, you know, a better job of making sure that things like this are, you know, not a, a commonplace or not a, mm-hmm. where it's happening on a regular basis. Um, you know, yeah. I, you know, I even I talked with Joe Wells this week about some things, and, and I even offered. I said, you know, if you want to start like a some type of watchdog group or something, I would be more than happy to be help out with that. You know, just mm-hmm. where there's stuff going on, you know, get to the bottom of it. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It's a bad look for the series, unfortunately, and, and it, it stinks. Uh, it stinks bad. So one more question, if you don't mind me here. Sure. Before I bring sure. on Cassie. Um, what would you tell fellow drivers like yourself who are trying to get into the Yarka series? What are the signs to look out for so maybe this doesn't happen to another driver? Um, definitely do, you know, start out with doing a background check. I mean, I'd... Um, when I signed on with Roger, I was pretty naive about it. Um, 
I did a little bit of background work, so really didn't find anything, and it took a little while to kind of get to the bottom of it. And with Bobby, you know, a lot of it was, you know, like Catherine said as well, it was the name. He was saying, you know, he has a name and he's reputable and all this stuff. And once, again, once everything started going south and I started really doing some deeper research, you know, I, I uncovered things like Highland Rim and Nashville Fairgrounds and things like that in Bobby's past. So it showed, mm-hmm. you know, something was going on. Um, that would be one thing, too. I think um, just making sure, you know, deals are clear and things are signed and, and so on, um, that would be some, you know, you know, one of the things on my letter of intent, he had, uh, instead of having, you know, they they flew into the banner of Hamilton Hughes Racing, but on my letter of intent, it said HMI when I, looked at that and asked Bobby about it. Oh, it's just a standard form. This will satisfy the sponsors, and we'll get things going. And and I should have right there just said no. You know, until you've got it where it says Hamilton Hughes or whatever you're going on. And then when I, right. you know, start transferring money to him, you know, I asked him, you know, account numbers and so on. He says, "Well, it's high performance motorsports." So come to find out later on, high performance motorsports was a LLC that was started by. Uh, with three officers, Chuck Adcock, Aaron Adcock, and Stephanie Hamilton. Chuck and Aaron are Bobby's brother-in-law and sister-in-law. So, yeah, it's a right. tough way to go. And, and we appreciate you coming on here tonight, Kevin, and, and, and telling us your story. Yeah. And uh, we hope we'll look for look for you in the future and we'll work for you. Well, I'm trying. I'm trying to get out there. Probably one other thing would be to you know call Joe Wells and Ron Drager. You know, ask them straight up. You know, what can you tell me about this team? before you even mm-hmm. think about it. So. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. And thank you so much, Kevin, for joining the show. It was it was great. We're going to bring thank on you. Cassie Gannis now, uh, who's in a similar situation with Bobby Hamilton, Jr. Cassie, thanks for joining the show tonight. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Uh, no problem at all. Um, first of all, you know, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Kevin. Um, when did you first meet Bobby Hamilton, Jr.? When What was the conversation like? And how promising did it look like for you? Well, we met Bobby back in Daytona uh, two years ago when I was doing the race for Roger. Um, and then he wanted to start his his whole ARCA team and everything and wanted me to be one of their drivers. And we're like, okay, why not? He has a couple sponsors lined up. Why not do it? And then finally he decided to start it up this year and we decided why not go with it it's not really that expensive we don't have the the money to afford a high dollar team which we should go for um and then that's kind of how it all it all started interesting and and uh you know give us a little bit of your background i know you won a 2012 uh nascar Caden west most popular driver, um, and, and I, I understand you paid uh, $12,000 for exclusivity fees for Bobby Hamilton Jr.'s team. Uh, so basically, was that almost like a development deal for you? Uh, well, that was a two-race deal. It was supposed to be Daytona and then Indy. So, or not Daytona, Talladega, sorry, and Indy. Um, and it was just those two races, and then go from there about... I want to say three weeks before Talladega, Bobby said 
he's not going to do it. He has a couple of sponsors lined up that he wants wants on board, but it's going to be at a different track. So we decided to go along with it and come to find out there's no sponsors, no anything. And then we were supposed to raise Indies. That came and went to now. Now we're here. <laughs> And I, 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 it's just a crazy situation. And talking in circles here, Clayton Caldwell with Kathy Guinness, um, ARCA Series driver who was supposed to run for Bobby Hamilton Jr.'s race team this year. Hamilton is racing in the ARCA Series. Um, and we're really uh, elaborating on an article that was written by Joseph Shelton on SpeedwayMedia.com. Um, so, you know, he, he basically gives you and your family the runaround. He changed how many races you were going to do. Uh, and then he didn't text you back. Um you know, how did this end up affecting your racing career? I mean, uh, I know, I know, you know, you guys save up a lot of money to try and do this stuff, and uh, racing is very important, and, it, and it's important to you. But it's not, it's not a cheap sport at all. So to go out there and and, and put the money out and to kind of not get anything out of it, how did that affect your racing career? Well, it definitely affected a lot. I mean, I had to sell my Superlave model to be able to afford these races. And I'm finally, I finally bought another super late model, and we're trying to get that together so I can start racing that again. So it's definitely hard for, for me who doesn't come from a family that has a lot of money, and it's definitely hard. But there's good things that come out of bad situations, and I had a team actually contact me, Mullins Racing, and they offered me to go out to Daytona and test for them in 2017. So. So, I mean, there's always good in that situation. Yeah, that's, that's great news. And uh, I understand, you know, your mother was a, was a big part of the race team helping you out as well. Uh, she's so involved with your team and helping you out with the super weight model stuff and, and helping out for 2017 as well? Yeah, my mom definitely is. She does a lot of my um, PR and marketing, and she's a huge part. She's the one who always keeps me in line about interviews and, and sponsorships and Things like that. She's definitely the one because I work two two jobs, so it's definitely hard for me to come home and mm-hmm. do all this stuff. So she's the one always on the phone, making these phone calls for me. Interesting. I'm gonna ask you a couple more questions here before I let you go. Uh, what I, I asked Kevin this earlier on the show, and I want your opinion on it. What can ARCA, if anything? And I know they're they're uh, you know they're not miracle workers, so it, it you know. And again, we've seen this plenty of times in racing over the, in history. But is there anything you think that ARCA can do to help prevent this happen to somebody else? You know, there's been a, a couple of accusations in the last couple of years with two with a couple of different people, uh, and it just kind of gives the series a bad look almost. What do you think ARCA can do to try and prevent something like this? Well, it's definitely hard. I mean, ARCA. I mean, there's nothing really ARCA can do about it. I mean, if you want to say, I want to start a team, then ARCA kind of gives you the go-ahead to do it. They don't know what your intentions are or anything until something bad happens, unfortunately. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, this is nothing ARCA's fault or anything. This is just something bad happened to all of us. So, I mean, it's kind of hard to say what ARCA can do better or anything because... You never know what a team is going to do to anybody, whether it's a startup team or a team that's been around for 10 years. You never know. But I give ARCA a ton mm-hmm. of credit for, for just being there and trying to police everybody. Yeah, no, they do a great job, no doubt about it. 
for sure. Um, what's next in your in your future with Bobby Hamilton Jr.? I mean, are you you know I know you're in the legal process right now, but really, what's next? I mean, uh, have you been kind of surprised you haven't heard from him yet, uh, or at least they haven't he hasn't made any public statement yet? And I know there's a lot of legality to it, so. Uh, he's probably, you know, in a lot of legality with with his people as well. But uh, what's next for you? Yeah, no, I mean, we're just going to keep talking to our lawyers and try to get a hold of Bobby as as much as we can and Chuck and Aaron and everybody. I mean, we have a ton of people working in our corners. I mean, Kevin and everybody is working together to try to, try to get stuff done. I mean, Bobby's going to hide as long as he can, but he is going to slip up and go to a racetrack or something. So he's definitely going to get caught somewhere somehow. So we just kind of got to wait to to see, unfortunately. And last question here, and I thank you so much for joining the show tonight. Uh, I asked, again, I asked Kevin this earlier, what would you do, what would you tell, you know, a young racer like yourself, you know, early 20s, trying to get into the ARCA series, what signs would you look out for so this doesn't happen to uh, another person uh, coming up, if you had to give him one piece of advice, what would you look for? I mean, definitely what Kevin said. Definitely what Kevin said. you Mm got to do your research on people, and even if you do that, sometimes things happen, unfortunately, and no matter what, if bad stuff happens, you just have to keep going forward, but definitely do research as much as you can, and talk to ARCA, talk to other drivers and team owners to try to try to see if this is a good a good thing or not. Because if they if team owners are saying no, then you shouldn't do it. So you definitely have to talk right. to to people who who are in ARCA to to figure out what teams to go with. Yeah, no doubt about it. That makes a lot of sense. Cassie, thank you so much for joining the show and, and sorry about the unfortunate fate with Bobby Hamilton Jr. and uh, we'll keep our eyes peeled for you coming up in, in the next couple of years, and hopefully uh, everything works out well for 2016 and, and 2017. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Kathy Guinness, uh, ARCA Series driver here on Talking in Circles, and we, we, we discussed uh, – and it, it, it was an article that was written by Joseph Shelton on SpeedwayMedia.com if you want to go to SpeedwayMedia.com last week about the – uh, Bobby Hamilton Jr. situation, Hamilton Hughes racing. Uh, they're under a lot of legal investigation from a couple of race drivers. Uh, Kevin Hinkle was one who we've had on the show, and Kathy Guinness is another. Uh, they're, they're, this is a, a beginning of a series for Joseph Shelton and SpeedwithMedia.com about this Hamilton Hughes racing deal. So keep your eyes peeled for it. Um, there's a lot more to it, and we're going to cover it here on Talking Circles as well. Um, and we thank so much everybody that that was that uh, joined our show tonight, uh, Captain Pluth, Cassie Guinness, and Kevin Hinkle on the ARCA series side of things. Um, we're going to start uh, the regular episode of Talking in Circles, how we normally do it every week here next. Stay tuned for that. We've got a lot of good stuff coming on here on Talking in Circles. We'll be back here in about 10 seconds here on Talking in Circles. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell here, um, and we're going to start our episode of Talking in Circles. Uh, NASCAR Sprint Cup Series got done running the uh, Pure Michigan 400. It ended up being Kyle Larson's first career NASCAR Sprint Cup Series win 
In his 99th career start, he beat out Chase Elliott on a late race restart. Uh, Larson had to, had come close to winning earlier in the year, but uh, just had missed. And here he is now at Michigan, three races before the chase, goes out there and wins the Premier Michigan 400. It was, it was a very impressive win for Larson. Uh, that Chip Ganassi racing team, that 42 team, has had a lot of speed recently. Uh, so to go out there and really um, perform the way that they did this weekend, I don't think it was a surprise to a lot of teams. They really did a lot of good things. But uh, I thought a very interesting race for Kyle Larson, a great job for him to go out there and win. Again, he's a kid with a lot of talent. He's done a lot of good things out there. And uh, for him to go out there and win the way he did, uh, it, it was really impressive. And, and I'll tell you, you know, everybody's getting on Chase Elliott here uh, towards the end of that race because of Chase Elliott's comments, you know, that he was very hard on himself. And there's no doubt um, Chase Elliott is a, is a great driver, does uh, a lot of good things. But I like the fact, and I think a lot of people, you know, I've read um, a lot of people kind of telling Chase Elliott, enjoy the ride. I like the fact that he's hard on himself. I think it's a good thing, you know, um, he wants to be perfect. And how can you tell somebody who wants to be perfect that that's not the way they should be? Uh, and, and it's a lot better than, than going out there and throwing your team under a bus than that we've seen in the past. So, uh, absolutely. I think, you know, I understand where people are coming from, from the Chase Elliott deal. But, you know, in my opinion, um, Chase Elliott is a guy who is a kid who's going to win a lot of races in his, in his career. He's in very, very good equipment. He's a very, very good driver. Um, but I don't mind the fact that he, uh, you know, goes out there and is very hard on himself. He knows how he can push himself. If that's what motivates him, that's good. Uh, and I think it's, it's, you know, everybody's different. You know, I don't think I could be that hard on myself, not critical of myself all the time, but maybe that motivates Chase Elliott, and good for him if it does. You know, he's, he's had a lot of success in his career doing it this way, so who are we to tell him that uh, he's doing it wrong? If you want to join the conversation here on Talking in Circles and, and give me your opinion on Kyle Larson's win and Chase Elliott, uh, you can call the guest line at 917-889-8280 to join the conversation here on Talking in Circles. We're going to talk about a lot of things, including the burnout that, that uh, Kyle Larson got. You know, a little, got a lot of notoriety from here a little bit later in the show. So I want to get your opinions. Again, that guest line is 917-889-8280 here on Talking in Circles. But, you know, again, Larson, it was an interesting weekend this weekend because uh, – I think it's the second weekend this year where we had three first-time winners. Um, Larson won in the Sprint Cup Series. Obviously, that was his first career win. Michael McDowell, an unbelievable win there at Road America. Richard Childress racing number two Chevrolet with Rima Board as sponsor. Does a great job. Goes out there and wins his first career NASCAR Xfinity Series race. And how about the finish in a NASCAR Camping World Truck Series race? I mean, here's a guy in Brett Moffitt who uh, ran for Rookie of the Year last year and, and did a great, great job. And I'll tell you what, uh, really it looked like he, we hadn't seen him until basically uh, the Matt Tiff situation happened and he was able to get his feet into the 11 truck. We hadn't really seen him at all earlier in the year. So for him to go out there and win at Michigan, a high-speed racetrack, draft the way he did, it was a very, very impressive win for him. And you got to remember, you know, he's only probably known that team for a couple of months. So to go out there and win that race, I thought it was a great win for Brett Moffitt. Uh, it, it was a really refreshing weekend. You know, there's a lot of talk. Uh, that NASCAR this season, their ratings are down because of the fact that the Jeff Gordon effect, where, you know, Jeff Gordon uh, has retired. And, yeah, I know he's come back and he's running for Dale Earnhardt Jr., but earlier in the year there was a lot of speculation of the ratings were down and the attendance was down because of the Jeff Gordon effect and the Tony Stewart effect. Remember, Tony missed 
the first couple of parts of the season as well due to a back injury. So to see young kids go out there this week and win and get their first wins and, and really kind of put, put their names in the record books here in NASCAR is a very, very good thing. Uh, it was great to see, and it was great racing. I mean, uh, Larson, no doubt, it looked like Chase Elliott was going to win, but that late race restart really hurt him, like I said, and, and uh, it was a tough deal, but uh, I thought great races all around. And, and let's give the low downforce package at Michigan. Uh, let's talk about that for a little bit. You know, here's a package that um, I think a lot of people looked at and were kind of skeptical about the 2017 rule package that we're going to be running in 2017. I, I think there's some people out there, even some old-school fans, who say maybe taking so much downforce away from the race cars isn't such a good idea. But I think on the mile and a half tracks, it's really worked well. Um, the less downforce we've had, I think there was a lot, a lot more passing. And it was something interesting this weekend as well where we didn't see the normal people running up front. You know, Joe Gibbs Racing especially has a dominated on these mile and a half tracks this week, this year. And then we didn't really see that. I know Mark Tricks Jr. kind of got in a little bit of an issue early on in pit road uh, at Michigan. But Joe Gibbs Racing, they really didn't lead a lot of laps. They weren't really up front a lot. Um, they were almost a little bit behind, you could say, in the fact that uh, they kind of just a little, looked a little behind here in the 2016 rule package, or 2017 rule package, excuse me. So that's a little bit more refreshing, I think, for people because sometimes when you see the same team and the same drivers up front all the time, it's kind of like, well, when is it going to end? Uh, and, you know, we saw a lot from Jimmy Johnson. Uh, Jimmy Johnson qualified second. He was running up front a lot. Casey Kane had a really good weekend. I know he ended up 14th, but he had a strong, his car was fast all weekend. You know, we saw even Alex Bowman, who was substituting for Dale Earnhardt Jr. before, he had his electrical issues go out there and really perform well. And, of course, you had Chase Elliott, who finished second, who was up in the front, led 31 laps. So it was a, Hendrick Motorsports, which has been behind a little bit, behind the game uh, of Joe Gibbs Racing and Toyota, really came to the plate and really, and really, really uh, raced well this weekend. Uh, also, you know, I, I thought Team Penske came, came prepared this weekend as well. You know, Ryan Blaney, uh, young kid who um, ran up front all day long. He finished fourth. Uh, I think he's starting to come into his own a little bit here. And uh, last couple of weeks, Bristol, he ran really good. And this weekend at Michigan, he ran really good. Um, he could be a guy here in these last two weeks at Darlington and Richmond. And I, and I know Darlington, you never like to go with a guy who's a rookie there at a track too tough to team, and I understand that completely, but, you know, he's going to have good stuff. He's a good driver. You know, it's not falling to him. He's run there in the Xfinity Series, so he knows what's going on there at Darlington at least. So, um, absolutely, I think Ryan Blaney is a guy who can go out there and maybe be spoiler this weekend, like Kyle Larson's been uh, was last weekend. So, a very interesting weekend. Uh, you know, it's just for everybody. I think Harvick even ran good, you know, it was refreshing, like I said, refreshing to see some new faces up front here. And it showed us racing cars, which is completely dominated. We're a little bit behind. So uh, it was very interesting. And, and here we have a caller here. Uh, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Ryan, calling from Virginia. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for joining the show, of course, tonight, like you always do. Um, I'm going to get your uh, opinion here, Ryan, on a couple of things here. First of all, what do you have to say about Kyle Larson's first career win outracing Chase Elliott, two young stars that are going to be the future of this sport coming up and really uh, going out there and, and putting on a great performance and a great race and a great battle at the end of that race and, and it ended up Larson's first career win. 
man, it, it was so awesome to see, regardless of whether you were a Larson fan or not. It's been, it's, it's been expected. That we, we've waited about three years for this particular win. He's won a couple times in the Xfinity Series and Truck Series, and everybody's like, when's he going to get that elusive first cup wing? Because remember, when he took over that 42 car over at Chip Ganassi race, and Juan Pablo Montoya hadn't had, hadn't had two very good seasons in, the, in that car prior to that. So they had a lot of personnel changes they had to make, and they had to get used to Kyle Larson, who, in my personal opinion, like I've mentioned on the show a couple of times and on Facebook and all that stuff, is I thought he was rushed too fast through the Cup Series, and I thought that hurt his progress. And, of course, before that, the equipment did not match the talent he had. Now, in my opinion, the equipment is now there with his talent, and he's finally starting to show it. He's had quite a few good runs this year, and he's also had a lot of bad yeah. luck. But he finally got that win well, in Michigan, that, that battle with Chase Elliott. That's a battle we're going to be seeing for, for many years now. Absolutely. And you brought up a good thing about the equipment not catching up with him. I, thought, I think Chip Ganassi racing in the last uh, three or four months here has been really, really strong. We've seen Jimmy McMurray pick up performance there. But, hey, you know what? For a guy who's got uh, a lot of criticism early on in his career for, you know, not, for Tony Stewart not performing, Chad Johnson, what a great win for him. Uh, you know, this is a guy who, again, he got a lot of criticism by Tony Stewart fans and people who thought Tony Stewart deserved, quote-unquote, a better crew chief. But for a guy that, that uh, you know, to, to get a lot of criticism, he's part of this rebirth and this regrowth that we've seen at Chip Ganassi Racing. So it was a great win for him as well, Ryan. Absolutely, and Chad Johnson was with Martin Truex at Michael Walter Racing before he went over to Tony Stewart, and he got that win with, with Truex over at Sonoma, and, and you know, Truex had a lot of good runs in that 56 car, you know, and if it wasn't for the whole Richmond fiasco deal back in 2013, we would have never seen anything like that happen, and he would have probably never left that team, and he did, and he went to Tony's team, and, and like you mentioned, he had a lot of criticism. I just don't think him and Tony were clicking, and Tony was also not having fun in that car. It was just not a very good situation for anybody involved with that and he's now moved on over to Kyle Larson he finally got that elusive first uh first win since he left Michael Walter Brace and had all those issues like you mentioned over at Tony Stewart's team it was a really good feel-good win for him and you could just hear over the radio when he watched the radioactive and post-race uh interviews with, interviews with it he was really glad to help Larson get that first win and I feel like Absolutely. this is the first of many and there's a very good chance that this could be a driver crucial combination that people won't see coming, they could very well be be tough to be with in the next couple of years. 917-889-8280 if you want to join the conversation here on Talking in Circles. Clayton Cole, Ryan Beckner for the rest of the show here on Talking in Circles. But I'll tell you what, Ryan, it was a it was fun to watch, you know, and I mentioned it earlier on the show before you were here. Uh, it was great to see some young faces this weekend win some races. I know McDowell's kind of a veteran when when you can put him to, to uh, Kyle Larson and Brett Moffitt, but it was nice to see him get his first win in the Xfinity Series at Road America. And Brett Moffitt's win, I, and I, I was going to ask you this question, but I'm going to give my opinion on it first. To me, that was the most impressive win, Brett Moffitt. This is a kid who uh, really didn't know this race team earlier on in the year, uh, didn't expect to be in this ride. If you told him in June he would be in this ride, in August he probably would have said no way. It's a very competitive ride over there at Red Horse Racing. Went out there, outraced uh, Timothy Peters. It was a great job by him. And uh, to me, it was a very impressive win for Brett Moffitt. So it's, but it's nice to see Ryan some young faces. This is the second, second time this year we've seen uh, in all three series drivers get their first win. So it's nice to see some of these young drivers go out there and really uh, perform well and kind of, you know, maybe a glimpse into the future a little bit. What I found the most special about this weekend compared to the other, other weekend when it happened is none of these three guys are rookies either. Regardless of what age they are, none of those three are rookies. Brett Moffitt has 
has considerable experience in all three of the series, especially in the Cup Series when he drove for Michael Waltrip racing in front row motorsports, driving driving a whole bunch of races for them teams. And he has some good runs with them, and he's had some good runs in the Truck and Xfinity Series and various equipment too. But he never he, – he just kept having those bad breaks. You know, he would never get that full-time ride with nobody. And had Michael Walter brakes and not had their issues, there – you know, there's another example. There's a, a very good chance he could have a full-time ride with that team if they were still around. And now he's finally yeah, found himself what could be a future home at the Red Horse Racing, which, you know, Timothy Peters has won races with him every single year he's driven for him. So this is this is a good ride. And I was in the stands at Bristol watching him, watching him right there on the back bumper of Ben Kennedy. I thought he was going to get that first win then. But he ended up getting it yeah, here in Michigan. That was just a very good feel-good story for him. He's he's performed well in that 11 truck all year long since he's been in it. And this kid who, uh, like I said, he you, you said he had, it was in the 55. He finished eighth at Atlanta in that 55 car, which was very impressive. Um, and, you know, he kind of got shuffled around between rides to 34, and he was out of the 34. He was in the 34. So it was nice to see him, uh, you know, kind of get his feet wet and, and get his first truck series win. Listen, I've seen sometimes truck wins, like we've seen with Brad Keselowski, or at least good runs in the truck series, propel your career and move on to the next step. And I've seen truck, truck wins not do much for you. So I hope in Brett Moffitt's case that this is something that people say, you know what, this kid can actually do it. We'll give him a ride. And it's very difficult. It's harder than it's ever been in 2016 to perform without money. And Brett Moffitt hopefully will have an opportunity to do that. And, and like I said, he's performed very, very well and that 11 truck at Red Horse Racing. Uh, you remember even John, here's a good example for you, the guys who's won races and then was out of a ride, John King, when he won Daytona a bunch of years ago for Red Horse Racing. Uh, that was that was a tough deal for him, and he won Daytona, and three weeks later, four weeks later, he was out of a ride in the truck series. So uh, kind of a, a crazy deal there. But, you know, I hope for Brett Moffitt that this win does a lot for his career. It was, it was great to see, though, Ryan, a lot of young kids winning some races and do a lot, a lot of good things this weekend. Um, what did you think of the racing at, at Michigan? Uh, they, they put the they put the ran a tire machine down, rubbered in the racetrack at Michigan. What were your thoughts on on the racing at Michigan and, and how uh, how competitive it was? I thought the race at Michigan wasn't terrible by any means, but it wasn't great by any means. It was it was kind of in between. It was almost a typical Michigan race. A lot of follow the leader, but especially on those restarts is where all of the passing and the good racing comes. We were seeing a lot of three and four wide racing and seeing a few guys get loose here and there. And it seemed like if you uh, if you had to get out of the gas a little bit too soon or something, you weren't you weren't able to carry that momentum off the corner. And I thought, but overall, I thought the racing there was pretty good, especially in the truck series. I thought the trucks were putting on a heck of a show over there compared to what the cup cars did. Yeah, that's interesting. They can draft really well, the trucks can, at Michigan because they can kind of hold it wide open there. So um, it, it's, it's a very it was a very good race. Listen, I, I agree with you. I don't think it was uh, a grand slam, but it wasn't a horrible race. Michigan, to me, has kind of been eh the last couple of years. Um, I personally think that race needs one race, but we'll get into that another another day. But, um, listen, I, 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 it was a good win. It was a great win for Kyle Larson. Larson, a guy, again, who goes out there and shows what he can do and really uh, does a lot of good things. You know, he, he goes out there and has really had a good year this year, especially in the last couple of months. And he, he really uh, shook up the chase. But before we get to the chase, Ryan, I want you to talk. I want to talk about burnouts for a second. There was a lot of talk this weekend about Kyle Larson going out there and burning up the tires and completely destroying the, the fenders of his race car to where it might not even fit on the scale. Um, what were your thoughts about that? Do you have any opinions on the burnouts? Do you like the burnouts? 
Uh, do you like when drivers completely destroy it down? What are your thoughts on the burnouts there? I don't particularly have issues with burnouts because I feel like if you win the race, any race, really in any NASCAR 3 Series, you've already done something that when you really think about it, very few people have really been able to do and very few people have really been able to make a great legendary living out of it. And while most people can make a decent living out of it, they might get a few wins here and there or maybe even 20 wins. I feel like every time you get a win, you should be able to celebrate it. Because once you get to Brittany Lane, you got to take all of those photos. And really the after party that we never hear about is, is where the real party is for the victory lane uh, whenever you win a race. So I've never had an issue with burnouts, but the biggest thing that I have that I really do, that really does bother me about it is that's high-dollar high equipment that they're in. Those Goodyear tires are not mm-hmm. cheap, and that those motors and fenders, I mean, there's a lot of hours put into that there. But back in the day, you never saw burnouts because they did all their own work and they didn't have the money to tear up equipment. Nowadays, it's like they got all the money in the world, so why not just preserve it? Be like, hey, that was a good motor we had today. Why, why can't we just rebuild it and reuse it? Instead, you know, a lot of these drivers are going out there and burning the, you know, the rear of the car out, and it's just like, you know, you know, your owner probably doesn't care. But at the same time, you know, I think I think they should. But me personally, I've never had a really an issue with any burnouts. But there there has been a few questionable ones over the years where I mean, I remember Jimmy Johnson, you know, hitting the wall and Jack and Alex told him to do it because right. they had illegal equipment on there. You know, I don't think Larson was seen by any means or his team. That was his first win. Burn them down, baby. That's how I feel about it. Yeah, well, here's my opinion on it, and uh, we have a caller here, and I'll get to him in one second, but here's my opinion on it. I have a problem with, and, and you can tell me all you want, and this is where I understand where people come from. If you want to say the rules are too tight in NASCAR, listen, I'm, I've been banging that drum for years. I think we should open up the rule books in NASCAR and say, you know what, kind of let these uh, see the ingenuity of the crew chiefs. I would totally, totally, totally be on board for that. That's not what we do in NASCAR, and we have a laser that measures these race cars, and if you're one-sixteenth of an inch, one-twenty-fourth of an inch too short, prior to qualifying and you fix the car, you get a, you get a, uh, a warning for it. And you don't even hit the racetrack illegal, and you still get a warning. You still get in some kind of trouble, uh, you know, and three or four warnings after that repeats in a P1 penalty, and you get fined for it, but yet... Here's a driver who tears up his race car to where he can't even fit on the scales at the end of a race, a driver who won. And I'm not saying Chip Ganassi Racing was cheating because I don't know if they did or not. Nobody will. But it just makes you wonder how NASCAR can come out and say they don't mind doing that when they're really, really tough on inspection. But when teams do that, it makes you wonder what they're hiding. That's all I have to say about that. And we have a caller here, like I said, Ryan. Uh, What's your name? Where are you calling from? This is Lee in Virginia. Hi, Lee. What do you want to discuss today? I want to discuss this Kyle Larson burnout thing. I mean, I, I'm not one that, you know, likes the fact that, you know, it was a great storyline, and I don't like to pee, to, to pee in somebody's Cheerios, to, for lack of a better term. But, uh, you know, Kyle Larson had a great run. And, but, guys, when was the last time Chip Ganassi Racing had a car that was that dominant? You know, they had been running pretty decently up until this point. We saw some strides, you know, if you looked in the points, Jamie McMurray's gained a lot of points lately. Um, but there was never a point where we said, oh my gosh, okay, they have to win soon, like we have seen with Chase Elliott this year. And then they go out and they dominate at Michigan. Now, I understand there's a different rules package, but then he goes out and he burns the tires off the car and, and destroys the corner panels on it. And you had NASCAR three weeks ago after Watkins Glen when Denny handled it saying, okay, well, we're going to look at that. The fans are happy, and I hope NASCAR's happy, because now for the remaining 12 races of the season, 
every single winner is going to burn out to the point of knocking the corner panels off the car because Kyle Larson didn't get in trouble for doing it at Michigan. You can't tell the teams and drivers that, you know, were watching you and then let them get away with a slap on the wrist just because it was somebody's first career win. And, Lee, here, here's an example, too. I mean, Ryan, you probably remember this one. Clint Border won in the opening race in the chase in New Hampshire a bunch of years ago, and his right, his left rear, uh, left rear was, I think, one sixteenth of an inch too far back or something ridiculous like that. And they got a big time, big time penalty for that. And I know it's a different era now, and I know it's a different chase format and all that kind of stuff. And we shouldn't go back five, six years and pull stuff out because they wasn't pulling stuff back thirty years. But that just shows you, you know, if, if they think that makes a difference and whatnot, or if it doesn't, uh, you have to wonder, you know, if it makes a difference. Who knows? I mean, we, we see teams even on pit road where uh, I think it was Brad Kozlowski's team one time, and I hate to get it wrong, and if I'm wrong, I, I, forgive me, but I believe it was the two team where they accidentally, maybe on purpose, nudged themselves into the side of the race car to kind of get a little bit more side force on their race car. Or, or we've seen teams pull out fenders. Uh, we saw a team a couple of weeks ago slam their front tire onto the hood of the race car to get to try and get more downforce. These teams have been right. have been used have been cutting a slit in their uh, in their car wraps, and NASCAR has been catching them to do that to gain a little bit of side force. And and the NASCAR has been telling these drivers and teams in the drivers meeting, hey, we're going to crack down on this stuff, and then they just let this go without any penalty. I think they're opening up Pandora's box. I, I think you're right. Uh, Lee, that's a very good point. Lee, uh, excuse me, Ryan, do uh, you have any other opinion on this before we move on? It was Brad Keselowski's car, and I, th- I believe it happened twice this year to Brad Keselowski's car whenever his team were, were trying to bend out the the, the, the little side skirt right there on the right side. And to what Lee said about Ganassi racing, I believe it was 2010 when McMurray won, won those three big races. Mm-hmm. It was the last time that they had this kind of speed, and they were competitive week in and week out. And Juan Pablo Montoya won Watkins Glen that year, too. That was a, I think that was the last time that both both of those cars out of Ganassi were extremely strong, and you really thought they were chase competitors. Yeah, and listen, I'm not saying they should outlaw burnouts because I understand there's a group of fans out there. I'm not one of them. Uh, a group of fans out there who really enjoys it, who kind of sits there and waits for the end of the race and can't wait to see the driver burn it down, and I understand that. And I'm not saying that NASCAR should outlaw the burnout completely. Personally, my favorite Victory Lane celebration was what Richard Petty used to do back in the 80s and the, and the 70s where the team used to jump on a race car and they used to take them all back to Victory Lane. That was awesome. Um, but obviously with, with the way we measure these race cars, you can't do that anymore. And it was funny because Larson even got up on the hood of that race car, on the roof of that race car, which is something that has been extremely frowned upon uh, in NASCAR. He got up on the roof of that race car and stood on it. And I understand it's your first career win, and we saw Rusty Wallace do it back in 1989. But the rules weren't and back in 89 weren't nearly as strict as they are today. And that's the problem I have with it. You know, if 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 nobody else can jump on a roof of a race car because it's going to lower your car, uh, and they measure it and they find out it's low, and then Larson does that and they measure it and it was low, well, they can't measure it and find out it's low because he blew out the tires. So it, it, to me, it's just, it, it looks bad. It just looks kind of silly that we police it so much prior to qualifying, prior to the race, and then at the end of the race, we kind of sit there and let a team and a driver go out there and burn it up. And, again, I'm not saying that I, I'm a, totally against burnouts, but they can't do what happened on Sunday and, and act like that's a logical thing. And, and I wouldn't have cared if they said, listen, it's Kyle Larson's first win. We're not going to penalize him for it. Uh, understand that it was his first win. I wouldn't have minded if they said that. I don't think anybody in the sport would have minded if they said that. But they said, in the future, you know, we'd like to see these drivers 
not do this because we we're very you know we want to have have a safe uh, a, a level playing field out there. We don't want to see the drivers do that. I would be okay with that, but those comments that come out and say we really don't care that they t- brought it up, that kind of uh, made it very interesting to me. I thought it was a very um, interesting topic. Go ahead. And one more thing, you know, probably just to finish this up here, there is a line with the burnouts, and I believe Kyle Larson crossed it. You know, there is a there mm-hmm. is you know dri- these are professional race car drivers who are doing 216 miles an hour into the corners at Michigan. You're going to tell me when they're burning out, they can't figure out what the point is of too much where they're going to blow tires off the thing. I think they absolutely can figure that out and do know when when it is too much. So if they can't, you know, you'll see some people saying, oh, well, they don't know because they're celebrating so hard, they just blow the tires off. No, I think they know that the tires are going to come off a bit, and I just don't think that they care. And so I think you need to say, well, you know what, If, if you're going to blow the tires out, we're going to come down with stiff penalties because there is a line, and that's crossing it. And so I think these drivers can understand that. I think we can come to a common medium here where we can say, it's okay here. This is okay and this isn't. I think the drivers and the teams can understand that because you can't tell me the drivers don't know what they're doing. 917-889-8280 here on Talking Circles. If you want to join the conversation here, uh, talk about anything you want to talk about here on Talking Circles. Um, Lee, I want to keep you on for the chase talk before I let you go. Is that okay, Lee? Absolutely. Okay. Um, the chase, it was interesting. What Larson's win did this weekend for the chase was it, it was very interesting because right now you have three drivers who are outside the top 16 who have wins. Uh, Chris Buescher, Tony Stewart, and now Kyle Larson. Um, so that puts three drivers, and that means, that means only the top 13 in points really would make this chase. Uh, and that puts Jim McMurray as the last driver in on points. McMurray, six points ahead of or 15 points ahead of Ryan Newman, excuse me, six points behind Austin Dillon in 12th. Ryan Newman's outside of this chase, which is very interesting because we haven't seen Newman won here at RCR yet. But uh, Ryan, crazy that this shook, shook it up like that. And are you concerned if you're a Ryan Newman fan, if you're a Jim McMurray fan, if you're an Austin Dillon fan even here in these last two races, Darlington can be a, a difficult racetrack. I think Newman's got a lot more experience and so does McMurray than Austin Dillon. So they, maybe they're you know, a little bit uh, above the eight ball here. They're a little bit, uh, you know, in better shape going into Darlington. But uh, what are your thoughts here? Uh, who do you think is going to miss this chase? Because one of those three drivers, Newman, McMurray, or Dillon, are probably going to miss it. Well, I like what you said about the experience part. McMurray and Newman both have quite a lot of experience at Darlington. They were both racing in the series back when they used to race there twice. So they got double the experience compared to what Austin Dillon has because the whole time he's been in there, we've only raced there once. But now in that case, too, Dillon also has other experience in expanding and truck series when they used to race over there at Darlington. So when you really put it all together, though, the way their season has gone, if you're fans of any of those three drivers, you're going to have some you, – you've got to be worried right now because what you have is, like you mentioned, you got Tony Stewart, Chris Busher, and Kyle Larson, who, let's face it, at the beginning of the season, how many of us would have thought that those three would be the ones to shake up the chase? Everybody wanted to see Tony Stewart win in his last season and make the chase, but how many people really thought it was going to happen? And then you think about Larson. Everybody expected him to win, but they were like, can he keep the equipment together? Can he not wreck as much? Can he, can he not overdrive his tires? Can he actually be a threat? Then you got Busher. I don't know if anybody ever thought he was going to win this year. So they really shook up the chase to where these three drivers, Jane McMurray, Austin Dillon, and Ryan Newman, are on the bubble, and they're – and they got to be worried going to Darlington because anything can really happen there. You can get one Darlington stripe too many, and it can ruin your car for the rest of the day. 
And so when you got somebody like Austin Dillon, who will probably try to overdrive his car just a little bit, being a young guy, he's going to try harder. Mm-hmm. While Newman is, you know, calm, cool, and collected, going to set that running 15th, and in the end, he can be like, time for me to go. McMurray, you know, he, he yeah. can do both of those. He can be calm, cool, and collected, or he can go he can go up to the front and drive a little over-aggressively. You know, it, these three drivers have to be warned. They, they only got two more chances. You know, Richmond is another racetrack where McMurray and Newman also have, you know, a lot more experience compared to Austin Dillon. You know, you really never know. These guys really have to step it up, and they really got to do the best they can to try to get in there. And RCR's equipment has been, you know, has been kind of subpar this year, but they've made a lot of improvements. While Ganassi right now is on a, you know, I'm not going to say on a tear, but they're they've really got some speed right now. So I can see McMurray making it, and I can see Newman and Austin Dillon not making it. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. It's going to be an interesting battle. Lee, let me ask you this: Kyle Larson is he a championship contender in your eyes? I think so. Um, you know, if the thing is, this the Michigan race was a 2017 rules package. Uh, Ganassi's been better with the 16 package, but they haven't been as good as they were on Michigan last week. Um, and the, and I'm going I'm to answer your question now. I'm going to say no, and I'm going to tell you a bunch of reasons why. Um, I think the Toyota dominance isn't over. What we saw at Michigan was obviously the 2017 package. Um, I think there also have been some teams that, like like the 14 from Kevin Harvick, that have been uh, – holding back a little bit because it's the regular season. I think Jimmy Johnson's done some of that. I think a lot of teams have done that. And there's been crew chiefs that have admitted it all year that you know they've done some experimenting. So um, I think now once once the 10 race chase starts, you're going to see those teams step up. And I'm not sure Ganassi's to that point yet of being able to compete with those guys. You know, they, it, was a, it was a chore and an accomplishment just for them to make the chase. I don't think that they're a contender at this point. Man, Lee, thanks so much for your contributions to the show tonight. And uh, we hope to hear from you next week. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks, Lee. I disagree with him, Ryan. I'm going to tell you right now, I think uh, Kyle Larson is a championship contender. You know, I know that he's hit on a lot of good points, and he's correct to the fact that Ganassi hasn't been as well, as good as we've seen uh, that we saw this weekend at Michigan. But I think that he's performed very well. They've had a lot of bad luck. They would have been in on points if it wasn't for, you know, uh, A.J. Allmendinger's little little incident uh, at – his little incident, excuse me, Kyle Larson's little incident at um, Watkins Glen. He got a call up in a wreck at Bristol. That wasn't his fault. And he was up in the front of both of those races. You know, he got about a 40-point point swing from the last two races because of the fact that he got involved in somebody else's mess, something that wasn't his fault. So I think he is a championship contender. I think this team's really performed well. And I think I've always said this about him. I felt like when he figured out a way to win races, he was going to win them in bunches. And I think he is. I think he's a guy to keep an eye on. I think there's been some teams that we've seen here uh, kind of take, taking a step back here. But uh, it'll be interesting to see. I could I, Listen, I've been totally, totally wrong on, on the championship predictions and, and all that kind of stuff, chase predictions and all that kind of stuff. I've been totally wrong on that in the past. So it wouldn't surprise me to see Larson go out there and, you know, be done in three. But I think he is a championship contender. I believe in him. I believe in that team. I think that team's hitting their stride. And I think they're really going to perform well in the last 10 races. What are your thoughts, Ryan? I'm on both sides of, of what you and Lee both said. I like Lee's thoughts on the 2017 rules package and how Ganassi may have not been up to par compared to the Toyotas and, and the two Penske cars and, like, Kevin Harvey and Kurt Busch or some of them. So to to imagine him outrunning some of them in this year's chase is not necessarily far-fetched, but it's a little bit far-fetched to think about. But it's, But like you said right here, though, He's, on, he's now going to have momentum on his side. He, as the old saying goes, he finally got that first win out of the way. The rest of them are going to come easy and hopefully come a little bit more natural for him. 
with that being said right there, if he can finally get that monkey off his back, so to say, he can probably go out here and get a couple more wins, and he can easily make it past the first two rounds and potentially make it all the way to the final. I'm not going to say he'll make it that far, but I think he'll at least he'll at least make it through the first round, no problem. And the second round is going to be where it's going to be challenging because he's going to be racing, like I said, against some of those drivers I mentioned, Harvick, the Penske cars, the, the, the Gibbs, Toyota Ford. You know, he's finally mm-hmm. got that win now. He's got to compete with them. And then he also got to, got to remember, anything can happen, too. We've seen that happen to Matt Kenseth uh, last year in the chase, where yeah. he ended up reckoning two straight races and then having issues at Talladega as well. That really took him out of there. Right. He was a fan favorite. People had him going to the Final Four, but he didn't make it. So, I mean, really, anything right. can happen Fine. when it comes to that. But, you know, he's got momentum now. He's got that first win now. They're going to go into Darlington. I think he's going to run well, potentially even win. Yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting weekend at Darlington coming up uh Sure. It was a tough week, though, Ryan, this week. We've had a lot, a couple of deaths that have been notable. Uh, Hutch Strickland's father passed away this past week, so our condolences to him and his family. Uh, the patriarch of NASCAR, First Lady of NASCAR, Betty Jean France, passed away. It's a lot of good things to the NASCAR Foundation with the Executive Vice President and Assistant Treasury, Treasurer excuse me, of NASCAR. She, uh, they founded the, the Betty Jean France Humanitarian Award in 2011 in her honor which recognizes uh, charitable and volunteer efforts of NASCAR fans. And she also uh, helped create the Speediatrics Care Unit in Halifax Hospital in Daytona Beach, Florida. So uh, a sad day, you know, and what are your thoughts here on the passing of Betty Jean France, Ryan? I think a lot of people have underestimated what Betty Jean France has done for NASCAR. You have mentioned every, you mentioned a lot of her, a lot, a lot of her attributes in here. And I think a lot of the young fans, per se, you know, that around 25 years or younger, they probably don't know a whole lot about her and about what she's done. But this is but this is, this is as major of a passing as some of the big-name drivers that, that have passed away recently, like Marvin Tans and a couple and, and a couple other ones. And then like I said, they really had several other deaths, too, in the sprint car series with Brian Clawson and, and he mentioned, you know, Hushworth's father dying, too. That's, these, are all, these are all a lot bigger than what people think, but when it comes to Betty France, this is, this is huge right here. She was a huge behind-the-scenes person, and had, everybody knew her. He's, the tweets I saw from drivers, from people who work in broadcast and in Marine Radio, mm. nothing but great things to say about this lady. And I don't think a lot of the young fans really understand what she has done or who she really is, per se. Because all they know now is Brian right. France. And that's all they know. That's yep. all you talk about. They're like, Brian France has done this and that. And it's like, you don't know what Betty Jane France has done over the years. This lady is special, and it's, it's really, really sad to see her go. And I've been, I was reading tweets earlier about her, about her funeral. A lot of people showed up, and the France family was very, very grateful for everyone's kind words. Yeah, and, and she wasn't the only one of the uh, more notable names to pass here in the last week. Cliff Stewart, who was an old owner and old and a, and a driver back in the early days of racing, and and, and uh, a guy who won some races with Jim Pascal. Ran cars that were owned by Tony Lund, excuse me, owned cars that were ran by Tony Lund. Let me get that correct. And Joe Weatherly helped start the careers of Jeff Bodine and Rusty Wallace. Cliff Stewart passed this weekend as well. Uh, this week, excuse me, as well, which is really sad. Uh, a guy who, um, you know, I, I didn't know much about him honestly. It was it was kind of an eerie. Uh, the night before he passed, I was doing some research for something and his name popped up, and I said, I wonder whatever happened to him, because uh, I never really heard about whether he was still with us or not. And I found an interview, and, and it was a great interview. I believe it was Bill Blair on YouTube, if you want to check it out, for Cliff Stewart. Um, he did a great job and talked talk, and talk really about how much he loved racing, how much his wife 
loves racing, which is awesome to see. You know, when you have these old school fan, old people, these people who've been in racing their whole lives, and they just they they eat, sleep, and breathe it. Uh, it's awesome to see. Um, and Cliff Stewart's another guy, Ryan, who um, you know doesn't have a whole lot of wins in his career, but a guy who helped pave the way for this sport. And without him uh, and his contributions, uh, you know, this sport might not be where it is today. So another really sad, uh, sad one. And even Charles Hardy, you know, a guy who just passed the other day as well, who was a uh, partner with Bill Elliott and Elliott Harding Racing when, it, when Elliott was first started as an owner driver. Uh, he was a former Truck Series owner as well, but he passed as well. So those two guys and their contributions, um, you know, they, they can't be overlooked as well. I 100% agree with that as well. Their, their, like I said, their attributes are very underrated for what they have done for NASCAR. That's that's the biggest problem with the NASCAR Hall of Fame right now. Is there's a lot of people like Banjo Matthews and Smokey Unit, you know, just to name a few. You can add Cliff Stewart to that. You can add Mike Miller to that. I mean, these are driver or drivers and owners that have helped start careers of some of the top dogs. You know, the Kevin Harvick, Brad Keselowski, Carl Edwards fans. You know. Those fans, they have Mike Miller to thank for getting their driver start into NASCAR and getting them where they are today, mm-hmm. but you'll never hear about it. And then you, you mentioned you know, Cliff Stewart, Tiny Lund. You know, then he, you know that's, that's a huge one right there. That's another driver that has made some good history in NASCAR that a lot of people don't know about, especially the young fans. They don't know these stories. But, you know, they really needed to Google, the to Google their names, do their research. You know, like I said, I need to go watch that, that uh, Bill Blair interview because Bill Blair's been around the sport for years as well. He sleeps and breathes it, and he even helps out a lot with the with the Okanichi Foundation that they do over there in Okanichi Speedway in Hillsboro, North Carolina. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, he's been around his whole life. And he will help work with Cliff Stewart. And uh, it's just a, it, it was just a sad week, a lot of, in, you know, uh, people who have helped build this sport pass. So it was, a, it was a really tough week here. We move on from that to go to Darlington. This weekend, the Southern 500, Bojangles Southern 500 this weekend, throwback weekend for the second year, Ryan, at Darlington. I think it's a great thing. Um, we've seen the schemes. We've seen everything. Tomorrow was supposed to be – schemes were supposed to hit the racetrack, but a lot of rain, I believe, hurricanes coming up through the East Coast – uh, through South Carolina, North Carolina, even maybe even by you in Virginia. Um, so all Friday activity at Darlington this week has been canceled already. It was canceled earlier today. So that means the Cup Series will start by owner points, which puts Kevin Harvick on the pole. Um, he leads the points, obviously, so they'll start by owner's points. Harvick on the pole uh, for the Southern 500 on Sunday. But, um, man, I just can't wait for this weekend. It's a lot of fun. Um, what are your favorite thing about this weekend um is it the schemes is it everything what, what's what's your favorite thing about the throwback weekend at Darlington? my favorite thing is that it all takes place at one of the oldest tracks that nascar races at darlington this is a racetrack that has been on the schedule ever since 1950 that's only that's only three years after the start of nascar in 48 this racetrack has undergone some changes over the years you know it started off it started off having a pit road and the front the front grandstands on what is now the back stretch, and they and they flipped it. You also have where they they used to have like this little bitty banking right on the straightaway against the wall. I, I love looking at old pictures of seeing those cars in the '60s and '70s, and you see that old banking. And one car is on that banking right next to the wall in the straightaway, and the other car is flat. That used to help give them an odd angle into the corner that was already banked. And now we don't have that part no more, and we have a racetrack that used to have two races every year. And then, unfortunately, it dropped down to one, and then they lost the Southern 500 yeah. date for, for quite a few years. I think 2004 was the last year they ran it with Jimmy Johnson winning it. 
And then they brought it back last year for the first time back on back on the actual date. And then they throw in, but uh, Bo- Bojangles comes in there, which is also a pretty big Southern thing down here. And then on top of that, they throw in, they're going to do a lot of throwbacks. And, they, and they've gone all out with throwbacks. Not only do we have paint schemes that are phenomenal for somebody like, like me and you who are young, and we have not, we didn't get the chance to see a lot of these old paint schemes racing in real life back in the day or even on TV. All we got is YouTube videos and pictures. And now yeah, we've got old school commentators coming back, which is sweet. And then you also yeah. got the old school uh, NBC logo and the old school music themes. We're going to have a lot of people dressed in in old school clothes. And, like, I'm a, I work on my roller grew as my, the Fu Manchu mustache last year, which I thought was really sweet. Even Kyle Larson had a mustache last year with his mellow yellow. I mean, it, to me, <laughs> this is this is so special. That it, it, there's no way to underrate how how special this weekend really is. It doesn't matter who wins the race or what controversy happens. It's still so special to see all of this stuff come back and all of it being honored and remembered. It's just it's, it's so awesome. It's really it's really a shame that a lot of other racetracks can't come up with something to do to make their race their, their racing a lot better or their whole experience. You know, but that's the thing about it now. Now the Southern 500 is a huge throwback weekend. I love every single bit of it. Yeah, 917-889-8280 if you want to join the conversation. Talk about your favorite thing about Darlington. Uh, you can call us at 917-889-8280 to join the conversation here on Talking in Circles. I'll tell you what my favorite thing is, Ryan. Plain and simple, this race is back on Labor Day weekend. It, I've always Absolutely. said NASCAR's biggest problem, the biggest mistake they made was moving this race, which was a gigantic race was moving this race from Labor Day weekend into uh, and they brought it to California at first and then Atlanta. And it was ridiculous. It was, a, it was a bad theory. It was everything that – it was a bad mistake. You know, I loved it because when they come out and they tell you that these sponsors didn't want to be in Darlington, South Carolina, that these sponsors wanted to be out in Los Angeles – Yada yada yada. That's why they made the move. They could they they could you know put 175 people out there, 175,000 people out there at California Speedway. They can only put 75,000 here at Darlington. All that crap they told you. This is this race, and it needed this. It needed a throwback. It needed something to feel special. It needed this because if they didn't have this, it might it might take them a couple of years to kind of get that feel from the Southern 500 and Labor Day weekend back. I have gone back this week and looked back at races, and it's still not the way it used to be. I would love to see this race run back in the daytime. I think with the, with the hot, with the heat in it, and the tires wearing down and, and everything, I think it would be even better than what we see. But, um, you know, I don't think the drivers are fans that Darlington would like that. But um, I just think with the way this is, this back on Labor Day weekend, the feel this weekend, it brings you back to, you know, uh, Terry Labonte beating out, David Pearson in 1980 coming off of turn four uh, when, when Pearson bounced it off the wall on the final lap and Terry came and won his first career race. You know, it brings you back to 79 when Pearson won the race driving for Dale Earnhardt. Uh, it brings you back to 96 when Jeff Gordon won this race and Dale Jarrett was going for a million dollars. It brings you back to 97 when Dale Jarrett won, or excuse me, Jeff Gordon won a million dollars. It brings you back to 1985 when Bill Elliott, um, you know, had won the Daytona 500 and at Talladega and he was going for a million dollars, and he outlasted the field and outlasted Kelly Arbor to win a million dollars in 85. Just, it brings you back to all those iconic memories. And Terry, even Terry Labonte's win in 2004, uh, the last race we saw on Labor Day weekend at Darlington, it, or in 2003, excuse me, it just makes you go, man, that, that's what this race feels like. That was great. This race was so amazing. And you know, NASCAR, 
got away from the Southern thing for a while, and I think it really hurt them. But to bring it back to Darlington and to bring it back, uh, it's just it's an amazing weekend. I, I can't wait for it. Um, what's your what is what's you know we talk about the schemes and everything. What's your favorite scheme, Ryan? There's a lot of good ones out there. What's the one you sit there and go, man, I can't wait to see that one. Man, there, there's definitely quite a few of them, but I'm I'm definitely excited to see the tide ride back. That one that that one will always hold a special place in my heart, even though I never pulled for the drivers that drove for them. But being from Virginia. Ricky Rudd was always a sentimental pick for me. Just you know, anybody who's from my home state, I guess it's like that for any NASCAR fan, really. Any driver that's from your home state, whether they're your driver or not, you still don't mind to see them win because they're representing your home state. And for Ricky Rudd, you know, that being on a driver for years with a tight sponsorship, and he actually won a race every single year he drove for that. Well, he drove the number 10 car as well, and all all of them were tied. That's going to be my favorite, seeing Matt Kenseth out there driving that tie ride. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. I tell you, it brings back memories. You know, Tide, uh, it was an iconic sponsor in this sport. You know, they started with Daryl Waltrip in the 80s for Hendrick Motorsports. Uh, the Dream Team, Daryl called it back in the 80s. So it was, uh, it was, it's an iconic sponsor. And then you mentioned, you know, when they went to Hendrick Motorsports, it stayed at Hendrick Motorsports with Ricky Rudd. Then it moved to Ricky Rudd's team. And, and Ricky did, for an only driver, Ricky did a great, great job in that car. Um, and won a lot of races in that car. I remember him winning one at Martinsville where his power steering was gone and, and his uh, cool his helmet cooling system was, was broken. And he went out there and, listen, there was nobody tougher than Ricky Rudd. I, I truly believe that. Um, he was he was one of those guys who you didn't want to fight with Ricky Rudd, you know. And uh, he was great. And it, tough. it brings you back to those memories. It brings you back to even Ricky Craven's win in 2003, I believe it was, at Darlington with, with Kurt Busch. Uh, it brings you back to all those memories. Uh, with the Tide scheme. That's definitely a good one. But I'll tell you, the one that does it for me, and, and I know this uh, this couple, and first off, I want to tell everybody listening, I grew up a Bill Elliott fan, so I'm dying to see the Mac Tonight scheme from Jamie McMurray. I think that's gonna, that, that's awesome. I mean, that, that when I was a little kid and uh, I was a Bill Elliott fan, and Bill ran that scheme at a lot of night races, but I remember at, at Bristol and stuff like that. That was awesome. I mean, that was so cool, the Mac Tonight scheme, and it really came out of nowhere. When I saw McMurray have that, I was like, that's cool. But the one that does it for me is the interstate battery scheme with Cobbush this weekend. I wasn't a Dale Jarrett fan growing up. You know, I, I, I didn't hate Dale Jarrett, but obviously, like I said, I was a Bill Elliott fan, and Bill was my guy, but, and Dale wasn't. But, man, that 93 race at Daytona will always be – it's one of the first races I remember. It's always something that's imprinted in my mind. I love that race. I, I go back and I still watch it when Daytona comes around. It was such an amazing weekend that weekend. You know, the first weekend without Richard Petty, his son on the pole, uh, to go out there and watch what what happened. You know, the fight with Kyle Petty, Alonso Jr. being in that race and running really good early on. Um, you know, and to have Ned call his son in and, you know, beat Dale Earnhardt, the guy who could never win the Daytona 500 in 93, it was just a, it was an unbelievable weekend that weekend. And, and that's something, that interstate battery scheme, when I saw that unveiled, it brought back all those memories. Like, man, I remember that scheme. I remember those days. It was unbelievable, and that's something for me that um, it just brings me back to my childhood. It really does. That's one, and, and you're right. You know, I, I know there's a lot of people out there who are psyched about Tony Stewart's scheme with Bobby Allison. I understand that, uh, but, you know, we weren't around in the 70s, so it's kind of hard for us to, to kind of relate to that car because we've only seen pictures of it and stuff like that. But for me, when I was growing up, that Interstate Batteries car, that was uh, that 93-500 was such a cool race. Uh, I can't wait for that one, Ryan. That's my favorite you know, yeah, I love that you mentioned that race because that whole race in general, you brought up all the storylines from it, that whole race in general is literally the definition of, of what NASCAR is. 
you have a bunch of you, you still had a bunch of southern you know southern good boys in that race, but you had a few of them, like Al Hunter Jr. from the from the from the Open Wheel Series, and you had him getting the final. You, know, you had a Kyle Petty getting out there. I believe it was Bobby Hillen that he that he got in uh, an all shot match with right after a wreck, and then you have Ned Colin Dale. He said it right in front of Sam Black, who, who at the time could never win that race, and you know just mm-hmm. the. You mentioned the interstate batteries as well. That's also another good iconic sponsor. They may kind of have the the symbolism in the sport that ties you know, or even some of the other sponsors in there, like like Jim Goodrich or something. But they stood, they were around for a long time. You know, two thousand oh yeah, uh, seven was their last year of full time sponsoring a race car with JJ Haley in that car when Kyle Busch took it over with him and in two thousand eight. And they still sponsor right. him like, for a couple of races every year. And if I'm not mistaken, I've seen them on Eric Jones' car a couple of times this year as well in the Xfinity mm-hmm. series. They never that they they never actually left, and I think they fully understand exactly what this weekend is all about. And to put Dale Jarrett's number ninety, the, the, the ninety three scheme that he drove, and Dale's also going to be there calling the race for a little bit, and he's going to drive Benny Parsons' uh, seventy two championship winning car all, all right. around the no, race back in free race too. He's going to be there. He's going to see that, and he's going to be like, I remember driving that car. The memories, the memories for him are going to be popping back too, even though he had most of his success before in Robert Yates racing. That win will always probably be his number one win in his entire life. Oh, He's gonna remember it. So are all the fans, just like you. That's what makes that. That's what makes Darlington Darlington now with all this perfect throwback. It is. It's great. It really is. I mean, it's it's a little bit of a and I was something that I don't think I could have gotten. In, I, if you told me five years ago, I've been into that. I've been like, eh, I don't know. Maybe it sounds a little corny, but it's cool. I think it's really really cool. I think it's cool that the teams are going through, through all this, uh, and and it's it's great. And another thing that I'm excited about is Ken Squire and. Ned Jarrett coming up forward with Dale Jarrett. Yes. Um, you know, I I grew up listening to Ken Squire call races on CBS, and for the days on the phone. And I know they did it last year, but I can't wait. You know, Ken's an iconic, booming voice in this sport. He's a guy who um, helped build this sport and, and bring it to TV. He was one of the selling, you know, guys who really sold NASCAR to television. Uh, his um, impact on this sport can't be even measured with how great he's been to this sport. And to hear him call a couple laps in the Southern 500 this week would be awesome. And, uh, again, it happened last year, and I'm glad they're bringing him back this year. And, and just to see you know, what was nice last year, and, and to see the joy back in those guys' eyes. You know, they've been away from it for so long, and you're like, well, they were in it so long, maybe they don't have the same love and the same kind of, um, you know, desire they once had to go out there and, and call a race. But, Man, Ken Squire was, you could just tell he was jazzed up. So was Ned Jarrett. They were jazzed up. They were ready to go, and, and it was really, really cool to see. So I can't wait to see that again. Me neither, and I can't wait to see them wear the old clothes again. <laughs> and with, with the unfortunate passing of Benny Parsons and Buddy Baker, could you imagine if they were still around? They could have been the third person in that booth, too, to be calling it. You know, like I said, we grew up with NASCAR in the 90s, so we were able to connect with them and able to, to connect with Bob Keaton. As well, whenever he called him for ESPN, I wouldn't mind seeing him come back, oh, even yeah. though he's not really as old as, as what the throwback is really calling for. But having a squire, you mentioned him, he's like Barney Hall. He's extremely iconic to the sport and helped build the sport. And a lot of these young fans, you know, that are younger than us, they don't they don't know these names or they don't know what they actually did. They grew up with what with what we got now, and it's like you guys have no idea what we used to have. King Squire in the booth, yeah. Barney Hall on MRN broadcasting. That was the that was the voice oh, yeah. you heard. You know, and, oh, and that, that, that came back for a few laps. Oh man, it's going to bring such joy to so many people's eyes. It is. It's going to be great. It's going to be great to see. It's going to be great to hear. And uh, like I said, you know, unfortunately, Benny Parsons is an iconic voice that we can't bring back, which is unfortunate. And even 
you know, Barney Hall, who can't come back as well. And there's a lot of people out there who have done that. Um, and Buddy Baker as well, like you mentioned, another guy. But um, it, it's going to be a lot of fun this weekend. I can't wait. Before I end the show here, Ryan, let me get your picks for Darlington. Uh, it's a great race, tough racetrack. Uh, no doubt about it. Um, it's the track too tough to tame. But who do you got taming the Darlington Raceway this weekend? I think we're going to see a battle between Fifty and Gibbs. And I'm not, I'm not going to say that none of the other drivers are going to have a chance, but I think we're going to see them again. We've got the rules package for this year, and those Toyotas and those two Penske Fords have been the fastest cars all year. And, of course, you got Kevin Harvick mm-hmm. and that mix as well. But if I really had to go out there, I'm going to, I'm going to pick Denny Hamlin to do it. Wow. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take his teammate. Obviously, I, I agree with you. I think you're hitting the nail on the head with Steve Penske and uh, um, Joe Gibbs Racing. But I'm going to, I'm going to go with, Matt Kenseth. I think Matt Kenseth is a veteran driver who can do a lot of good things and uh, a guy who can win some races. So, uh, absolutely, Matt Kenseth can get to victory lane this weekend. Ryan, thank you so much for joining the show this weekend. I want to thank uh, my previous guests, Kevin Hinkle, Kathy Guinness, Kathleen Plouffe. Uh You guys are rock stars tonight. I appreciate you. I appreciate you all, everybody listening. Lee from Virginia for calling in. Uh, it was a great show tonight. And we'll see you next time on Talking in Circles. Good night, everybody.